unless we think that it doesn't matter. But you see, this is where we get into trouble because these are the secrets that God means to reveal. And in the revelation of these secrets, we will come to rest. But these are profound mysteries. And yet we, we, we come rushing in to great mysteries with unsound minds, attempting to superimpose our historic information, our historic knowledge, the way we have been taught doctrinally and the way we've been raised doctrinally, we superimpose them at will upon the Scriptures and that's the blindness that does not allow us to see what we ought to see, what would otherwise be plainly available to us to see. I have found that if I'm going to represent the Lord, in order for me to hear what He has to say, I cannot approach Him with any presupposition. Now, the things that are written are always the same, meaning they remain as they are written. But what is revealed about what is written grows deeper and deeper and deeper until God reveals a matter. He does not hold our ignorance of such things against us. He winks at our ignorance. But the moment He reveals it and that sound of the revelation of that which He has revealed reverberates from the earth and echoes back into the heavens, He changes the configuration of things on the earth to accommodate the revelation from heaven. And if we are going to benefit from this that has been revealed, we have to repent. We have to change our mindsets. That is the meaning of repentance. And reposition in something greater that God is showing us. Now let me proceed here for a moment. So the one who is sitting on the the throne, uh, who is, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty, who created all things and without Him was not anything made that was made, He holds in the right hand. He holds a, a, a scroll written inside and on back and it's sealed with seven seals. The question then arose that caused everyone to focus on the one on the throne who holds the scroll. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Now, this is a new happening in heaven. We have the idea that heaven is somehow some sort of a static environment in which things are always the same. But no, heaven is not static at all. You see, heaven was created. Heaven was created. Like the earth was created, heaven was created. And they were created in the same, heaven and earth were created in the same epoch of creation, in those 
seven periods described as evening and morning, where things moved out of darkness and were revealed, uh, illuminated. These are not seven calendar days as some suppose, obviously because uh, a calendar day is measured by the time it takes the sun, uh, the earth to go around the sun. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? Because the sun wasn't created till the fourth day. So no, a day as described in Genesis is not a seven, uh, seven uh, I mean a 24-hour day. <laughs> I was amused recently when I saw a politician um, presenting his credentials, I think he was a Georgia politician, presenting his credentials as a Bible-believing Christian and he said, I'm one who believes in uh, creation having taken place in seven earth days. <laughs> and uh, you, you, you know that he's appealing to people who have that same view. And to these people, even if you present the truth, the obvious truth, that it could not possibly have been seven, uh, a 24-hour day, it could not possibly have been a 24-hour day because the, way, the measurement of time was the earth going around the sun and the earth has not been, the, the sun and moon and stars had not been created for another three days. <laughs> but who cares? It's a political uh, something and it's an appeal to Christians. Christians have become so gullible because they have been by and large uh, unhooked from the Spirit of God and by that from the Spirit of Revelation. And so they're anxious to have everything go back to normal when God is bringing forth something through the process of birth. This is that time, birth bangs on a pregnant woman. And what He's bringing forth is the glory of the man in the image and likeness of God, but they prefer yesterday's wine. They prefer to be trapped in society as they have created it and as they're able to influence it. So witless politicians come forth and say, I'm like you, I believe in, it was seven calendar days that God created, 24-hour day, seven days a week, and it wasn't so. Now, when you say that, you know, it almost seems like you're heretical, but you only appear heretical because people have departed from the spirit of truth and from the knowledge of the truth. There is, in this time, what is being revealed is how great the falling away has already become. These nonsensical gospels, these, these silly ideologies refuse to change in the plain light of Scripture. When the Scriptures are exposed by the breath of God, they dig their heels in because they like it the way it was. Does that sound to you like the times when Jesus lived on the earth? He came and He was the fulfillment of the Scriptures. Everything about which the Scriptures spoke was about Him. 
and they crucified him. So if they did that to the Lord, I don't have a, a greater hope uh, and a greater ambition that they'll hear me. But nevertheless, I'm speaking to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, not those who see and don't see, hear and don't hear, because their, their preference is what they lust for. They choose to only see what they prefer to see. That's why it, their blindness is self-imposed. And they choose to hear only what, they, what pleases their ear. And that's why they heap to themselves teachers to tell them what they hear. This is why people are deceived and why deceivers are commonplace and even exalted teachers in the church today. But some will see and some will hear. I I drifted off. So he has the scroll in his hand, the one who sits on the throne, the one we usually refer to as the Father sitting on the throne, but who has now been described by those in heaven as the same Lord Jesus, the Almighty, the one who was, is, and is to come, as he defines himself, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's sitting on the throne and and heaven acknowledges that he made all things and he made it all for himself because he was going to come into creation uh, to, to, to occupy Uh, creation for the purpose that was in the mind of the Father. Heaven, you see, was created. It was created on the third day. Heaven is not eternal. So scenes change in heaven. It's a created realm. It hosts the unfolding revelation of God who is not in time and space, who is not relegated to heaven. His presence is in heaven, his presence is in the earth, but he is outside of heaven and earth. Everything that moves into heaven is according to what God foreknew, and it moves into heaven before it is revealed out of heaven into the earth. That's the order of transmission. Things that come from God come originate in God, and I'm I'm working to that. I want to talk to you about how in the beginning there was the deep, there there was the water, and there was the Spirit. That's before either heaven or earth was created. So outside of time and outside of time and space, God exists. Time is a creation of God and it serves God. Everything that exists lives and moves and has its very being in the deep. As much as the water was in the deep, as much as the Spirit was in the deep, God is in sovereign control outside of the realm of creation, but whatever is in His mind to be brought into creation is first brought into heaven, he already knows the end from the beginning. So the sequencing of everything in him 
is designed to come first into heaven and out of heaven to come into the earth. And the reason is, heaven is more of accommodating of spiritual things. It was constructed to accommodate things that are spiritual because things that are spiritual are much more versatile. You could see more of God in the realm of spirit than you can see of God in the realm of the formal, the material, which, which earth and the visible creation are. So heaven as it were is the staging area where God puts things out of Himself into that realm to come down, to come ultimately into the realm of time and space. And the enemy who is in one of the realms of the heavens tries to operate to block those things coming out of heaven. We know that because that's what uh, Daniel was told by, by, um, by the angel Gabriel, the prince of Persia contended with the messenger who was bringing, the angel Gabriel, who was bringing the word of the release of Israel out of Babylonian captivity and back to Israel. Uh, the release of that word um, had been sent by the angel Gabriel, the prince of Persia, a demonic prince, tried to block it. But heaven has all the resources necessary to remove every blockage and to allow things to flow into time and space. So, he who sits on the throne holds a scroll in his hand and it's time for the opening of the seals. That's that whole digression into uh, time being in God, uh, how creation was established and all of that, is to show you that the realm of heaven is not static. That's why if, if, if heaven if everything is wrapped up in heaven, in the realm of heaven, how could you have a new song? Where would there be room for a new song? You know what new means? New. It hadn't been sung before. If you're going to open scrolls to reveal, what are you going to reveal? Things that hadn't been happening before. Why would these things be written on a scroll hosted in heaven? The answer is because heaven is the place of first entrance into creation of things that are already in God. So it was time for the scroll that was in heaven to be opened and the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth held it in his right hand. But the irony is He's the one who was on earth. But the first sighting of him in the book of Revelation is not the 30-ish young man who came to the earth and who was crucified. No, he is magnificent in a way that allows him to carry easily a glory associated with the Father. You know the language? The Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's the Eternal One, the Almighty. 
These are titles that belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before you freak out, let me remind you that in the book of Isaiah, the 13th chapter, he is described as the, uh, the child who is born, the son who is given, upon whose shoulders the government will be, and he's described as the everlasting father. He is described as the mighty God, the one who is to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, described as the mighty God, the everlasting father. The mighty God means the almighty. The everlasting father is he who was and is and is to come. The prince of peace that allows him to sit on the throne of his father. There's nothing amiss about Jesus in his glorified form returning to a glory he had with the father before the creation of the world. But I'll come back to that and to unpack that even further. But I want to show you what would otherwise be a dilemma. So the question now arose, new scroll or a scroll brought out, new things to be revealed, revealed from heaven, and by the way, all those things that are spoken as being revealed on when the seven seals are broken successively, they all are being revealed upon the earth. None of it is being revealed in heaven. In a major way, all of it affects the earth. Ergo, I say to you, things are revealed first in heaven and then they are manifested on the earth. Now this is an order that we probably have never heard of before. because we just think that heaven is where we want to go when we die. And yes, we ought to want to go to heaven when we die, but please don't be dismayed to learn that that heaven that presently exists will eventually be rolled up as a scroll and it'll pass away because there will be new heavens and a new earth and we know that Jesus will bring back with him when he comes with the clouds of heaven, he'll bring back those who were with him in heaven. They'll be joined by those of the earth who have been suddenly resurrected and they'll come back to a renewed earth. Jesus is not coming back to just have us be caught up to meet him and then turn around and go back to heaven with all of us. So he brings those out to heaven who are already there, he receives up those who are coming by the form of the resurrection and those who are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, who are alive but who do not die, those who belong to him. And then what? He gathers everybody back up and says, now let's all go to heaven again. (laughs) That's the folly of what we have believed. It's folly of what we have believed. That when Jesus comes, He's going to come to take us to heaven. 
only to have heaven disappear. No, it's not the end of the story. It's about the man above the water. It's about what God means to do beyond creation, beyond the creation of heaven and earth. Now is the time for the revealing of such things. All right, now let's move forward. So the seven scroll, uh, the seven seals on the scroll were meant to be opened. And so it, it appeared to him that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, and by the way, that's not, that's speaking to the word under speaks to a dimension of authority lower than the heavens and the earth. And whenever you think of the realm of the demonic, in present tense, it is a higher realm in, in, in the sense that it is an invisible realm. But in truth, it is only established by an authority that is false and flawed and cannot be maintained against the understanding of those who know their position as sons of God. So that's why it's described as under the earth. The earth there is a reference to the domain of man. And uh, under the earth means it's a domain of lesser significance, lesser authority. But all these things we will come to know with greater fluency as we clothe ourselves with Christ and begin to act out of our propitiated position as members appropriately assembled by the Spirit of God to a divine corpus which is the Corpus Christi, the body of Christ. Anyway, under the earth nobody was found. So I wept because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look upon it. Do not, but one of the elders, one of the twenty-four said to me, do not weep, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that would, be that would be Isaiah 13, a shoot will come up from the root or stump of David and from his roots a branch will form. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed and is able to open and loose its seven seals. So every descriptor of the one who is about to come and open, take the scroll and open it, references the Son of Man. References the Son of Man. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a man. The Root of David, David is a man, has prevailed. He has overcome and he's worthy to open the scrolls. Now, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne, that's the appropriate word, media, the medium, in the midst of. In the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the elders, in the middle, and by the way, they're standing, 
there's a, the throne is in a circle, the four living creatures are in a circle, the 24 elders are in a circle. So the visual picture is in the midst of the circle. By the way, that's where the throne is too. In the midst of the circle stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. All right, now, hold on for a second. So we're in heaven. We're in the spirit. We're seeing things that cannot be understood rationally. They can only be understood by revelation. So it's announced the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. The lion is announced and what do we see? Behold, I looked and there before me stood a lamb. The lion and the lamb are the same. This is one of the mysteries of God. In the same being, in the one being, are multiple manifestations. Hmm? What are we going to do with this? Is not the lion the lamb? Is it wrong to to announce the lion and then show us the lamb? Is this a kind of bait and switch? Hey everybody, the lion, drum roll, spotlight, the lamb. Is this what the French would call a denouement? Is this a deception? No, the two are the one, right before us in heaven, the lion is described and he's described as the root of David. And you may say, well these are just terms of art. These are just terms of art. Well why not describe the lamb as the lamb, like John did? Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because the designation is that the lion is the character of the overcomer, it's not a simple slay of hand. It's a descriptor of an essential characteristic of the lamb. He is the overcomer, like the lion. But he's not the lion who devours, that's the roaring lion. He is the lion who overcomes the devourer. He has the strength of the overcomer in him. And the lamb, therefore, is described in these unusual terms, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. 